Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is Kate Donovan, and she's a keynote speaker, one of New York City's leading burnout experts, and host of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. She's the author of the book, Bounce Back Ability Factor, and an acupuncturist with a master's degree in Chinese medicine. Her creative burnout recovery solutions have been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, NPR, and the New York Post, and in companies such as Lululemon and PepsiCo. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So have I. So tell me, what is burnout and what is it mean to recover from it? So burnout, if we're going to go with the World Health Organization definition, which I believe that we should in order to start with a place where there is some consensus. This doesn't necessarily mean that I 100% agree with the definition, but in order to have a consensus and keep things as a whole, burnout is a component of three factors and all three must be present in order to say the situation is burnout. The first is physical and emotional exhaustion. Both of those things count as one. The second is cynicism and detachment, feeling alone, feeling negative, feeling like you've got no support in the world. And the third is a combination of not feeling that you're able to produce at work. So a lack of productivity and also a lack of feeling that the work you do is impactful in any way, shape or form. So you can do it. And even if you manage to accomplish the work, you feel like it doesn't matter. So what causes burnout? That's a very, very big question. I recently created a full document on all of the risk factors that would lead someone to burnout. And it's massive. Burnout is a is a multi-directional issue. So we can't say that X causes burnout. This is not an A plus B equals C scenario. This is, let's look at the social determinants of health. When we're looking at the social determinants of health, there are certain factors. Childhood trauma, for instance, is a precursor often to burnout. Being the adult child of an alcoholic is a precursor. It can be a precursor to burnout. Having Perfectionist tendencies can be a precursor to burnout, but also there are workplace environmental factors that are major causes. So, for instance, having high job strain, which means that you have a very high workload and no autonomy of how you want to get it done um, and lack of fairness in the workplace. So pay inequality is a big problem. Lack of community is another that's huge. And it sounds like this is a multifactorial process that really hits people hard. And it almost seems to come on insidiously that it, it all out of the blue, it's there. 
That's an astute observation, and it often feels like that to people who are experiencing it until they start working backwards through, okay, what do I need to unwind to get out of this? They start to say, you know, I was having dizzy spells for a couple of months, and before that, I had to switch from two coffees a day to three coffees a day, and I still didn't feel like I had any energy. And, you know, I started getting those headaches a while back that I sort of wrote off as not important. So after it happens, sometimes with hindsight, it seems really obvious that it was coming, but most people are not aware that it's coming until they've hit a wall. That's huge. What are the warning signs a person should be looking for? So if we know that those the three components that I mentioned are the components of burnout, if we're going to look at the physical exhaustion piece, to me, that means that you cannot do the same things you used to do in your life and still have any energy. So you maybe you're sleeping okay, which if you're burnt out, you're probably not. But let's say you're sleeping okay. You are getting up in the morning and exercising and then going to work. But instead of being able to work the full day and having that exercise energize you, it wears you down. And by noon, you're dying for a nap. Right. So this is just a, a shift in your ability to live life the way you always did. If you're if you're lacking the energy to do it, that's a sign. If that is combined with an inability to manage your emotional states. So to me, emotional exhaustion is like putting somebody on a stick of dynamite. And it means that, you know, the next thing that happens, whatever it is, is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And the straw keeps breaking the camel's back like four times a day. You know, just every you somebody asks you to do one more task and you lose it. Your child is three seconds late tying a shoe and you lose it. It's this inability to handle anything more than just the bare minimum. Okay, so let's suppose a person is recognizing they have the the burnout scenario coming on. What do they do next? What do they do to prevent it? I think that once you realize that burnout is coming on, you're already there. So we're not talking about prevention anymore. We're talking about recovery. And these are very, very different things. Burnout prevention is stress management, period. That's the simplest way I can say it. All all the basic stress management tools that we know of that work, we know that meditation works. We know breathing works. We know that yoga helps. We know all of these things. That is burnout prevention. But if you are already thinking that you're burnt out, those things are not going to have the same effect. And I think this is a massive issue in the burnout scene at the moment because people don't recognize that prevention tools and recovery tools are different. So if you are feeling like you're burnt out, the first thing that we need to do is something that I like to call life pruning. We have to cut away all the bits of your life where you're spending energy, where that growth is not necessary or helpful. The same way we would a rose bush, the same way we would a bonsai, let's cut off the branches and the leaves that are not bringing you anything and are in fact distorting your shape. So, so let's go to a little bit more into that recovery process, because I think, you know, a person's, so many people have hit the wall out there. Mm especially in healthcare with yeah. with what went on with covid well, let's talk about that recovery process so want to understand what the recovery process needs we have to understand what's happening in the body so there are physiological changes that happen to the structure of your brain under 
the guise of chronic stress. So if we're going to go just a little bit scientific for a minute, but I'll keep it really easy for people. The part of your brain that sits behind your forehead is your prefrontal cortex. It's the part of your brain that's responsible for planning and executing and motivation and decision-making and connecting with other people. This part of your brain has shown to be smaller in people under long-term chronic stress, which means that it's not going to have as much activity, which means that those tasks that it's supposed to accomplish will be accomplished with more difficulty. The next thing that happens that we know of with chronic stress in the brain is your hippocampus. There's the hippocampus is sort of, if you want to make, keep it really basic, where a lot of our memory stuff happens. The hippocampus gets smaller under chronic stress, which means that we have less ability to hold and store information in our heads. So you might be getting forgetful. You might find yourself losing words. You might, you know, this is a, a big part of burnout. And lastly, and I think most importantly, this is not lastly, this is just the things I'll mention today, but most importantly, the amygdala, which I, I nickname her Amy G. Dalla, so that we can, I call her Amy. The, the amygdala is the part of our brain that lets us know whether or not we're safe, whether we should be pushing into fight or flight, or whether we can rest and digest. In the most simple terms, I, there might be people out there that know a little more specifics about this. That's okay. We're just, we're keeping it at an easy level so everyone can understand. Keep it simple, silly. Keep it simple, silly. So Amy, the amygdala grows during chronic stress. She gets bigger. So while other parts of your brain are becoming diminished in their ability to function, your ability to sense danger gets bigger which means turns you into a hypervigilant being who's constantly scanning their environment and noticing everything that has the potential to be dangerous to you. So now you're in hypervigilance and some anxiety and some sympathetic nervous system sort of fight or flight action all the time. So if we know and that's not even touching the body, so we're just going to stick to the brain today, but if we know that that's happening in the brain, then burnout recovery requires us to create an, as many feelings of safety as humanly possible. Because the more safety your body can interpret, the more it will allow your nervous system to come back to neutral. So it's, it's basically uh, meaning that we have to let the stressors out there return to normal and we have to uh, allow our body to feel that way and our brain get back that way. Yes. And sometimes we can't eliminate the stressor. So instead, if that's not an option for you, and for some people, it's not. Some people can't quit their jobs tomorrow because they have financial issues or not issues, but they have bills to pay, basically. And sometimes you can't eliminate the stressor. So if you can't eliminate the stressor, then you must increase the safety. And neurologically, increasing the safety is not that hard. It's an increase in safety for your body to have a softer blanket on your couch when you are snuggling to watch TV at night. It's an increase of safety to your body when your knives are properly sharpened and you don't have to fight with them to cut through a the skin of a tomato. It's 
safety for your brain when you take out a glass and you have no worries about it being cracked and scratching your lip. You know, so sometimes the initial changes that we can have people make that are really accessible, easy to do and useful is replacing some of the really basic things in the house that you might not think about as creating a risk for you, but are small irritations that you have sort of in the back of your mind all the time. For example, in addition to the things I said, I had a client who we were talking about this feeling of safety. And she said, you know, what's interesting now that you say that my nightstand is a square and it's a little bit higher than my bed. And almost every night as I go to lay down, I have this small worry, just a moment of worry that I could hit my eye on the corner of the nightstand. Every night when I go to bed, I feel like I could hit my eye. This is a massive lack of safety that you're having just before you're supposed to be in your deepest rest and digest safe space during your sleep. The first thing I had her do, she pays me for coaching. Coaching is not cheap. The first thing I had her do was buy a nightstand. And she was like, are you kidding me? I said, absolutely not. I need you to buy a round nightstand that is lower than your bed, at least a little, so that you don't fear hitting it. She wrote to me months later saying, I can't believe how much better my life keeps getting. I've replaced my plates. I took the good towels from my guest room. I increased my level of comfort in my home. She said, I didn't do so many of these practices that people are like, you must do 10 minutes of breathing every day. She said, I literally bought a new nightstand. I said, I know it's the small things. What about meditation and spending time in the quiet zone? The quiet zone when your amygdala is big is a dangerous place. So that can be counterintuitive in the beginning. Meditation long-term is beneficial for your brain. We know that. That's clear. But in this short-term burnout phase, it's you. if you're going to do meditation, my recommendation is to do yoga nidra or body scan meditations where you are guided to relax certain parts of your body step-by-step, step. kind of like when you're laying at the end of a yoga class and somebody says, relax your forehead, relax your jaw. Doing something like that can be helpful because you're teaching your body how to rest again, how to feel safe again. But sitting and trying to meditate on your own is like a bad idea in the beginning of burnout recovery. Once you're recovered and you want to prevent it long-term, please start meditating. But when you're starting recovery, meditation is not the best plan. That, that's some good advice. And guided meditation sounds like something that would be useful in some of this, but just embarking it on yourself might be harmful. Yeah. Yes. And that sometimes throws people for a loop because we have so much information that meditation is a benefit to your brain and to your nervous system. But when you are hyper aware of danger, being still and being quiet, if it doesn't feel safe, you're not going to be able to do it. And if you can't do it, then it's not helpful. So we're stuck in this sort of catch 22 that you really have to pay close attention to what your particular body is doing and needs and not necessarily listening to the masses about what should be helpful. And what about yoga? How does that fit into the situation? 
for burnout recovery, the only yoga that I like in the beginning, when people are really crashed and burned, the only thing that I recommend is yin yoga. Yin yoga is very slow. It's a few minutes in each pose. So you're not doing a lot of motion. Exercising, kind of going for sort of like cardio or strength exercise during burnout in the very beginning of burnout recovery is a, is a bad idea because that shoots your cortisol off your stress hormone. And it's really hard to get it back into balance again when it's already not doing what it's supposed to. So if you're using yoga as exercise, that's not a great idea. If you're using a yin yoga as a style of yoga to slow your body down and to practice being safe in your physical form, then amen, let's do it. It's huge. Are there other things people can incorporate during that initial phase of burnout that they've recognized burnout is there and how they can recover that would make it, that would be useful for our listeners? I think one of the most important things that I believe I'm the only person talking about, I'm sure that will change with time. I hope that will change with time. But I think that one of the biggest tools that I use and that I give my clients regularly is to be honest about your negative emotions and use them as transformational tools. Specifically, I help people use resentment well. So what do you mean by that? So resentment is the the sort of Merriam-Webster definition of resentment is bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. And a lot of times underneath burnout, there's also this sort of lack of fairness that's felt like I gave so much and I didn't get enough in return. So resentment and burnout really go hand in hand. Resentment is also present when our boundaries are being broken. So if someone is asking for too much and we've agreed to give it, or we have overgiven even when somebody didn't ask for something. A lot of us do that. You know, the martyr syndrome, the savior syndrome, the people pleaser in all of us is running around trying to save the world from, you know, cool coffee and warming up everybody's mugs before we even know if, if someone wants warm coffee. Looking at resentment, taking an, a, a really honest look and writing it down and saying, this is where I'm feeling resentful, getting really specific about the situations will allow you to notice where the boundaries are off. And when you know where they're off, you can then create and implement a plan to put them back in place. Sometimes that plan involves only you, right? So you see that there's a situation you're feeling really resentful of, and you just actually don't need to do it. You're doing it because you're overgiving, not because anyone's asking anything of you. You might assume an expectation, but that expectation may or may not actually be there. So the first stage is to eliminate all of these internal boundaries that you're crossing. When you know you don't have enough energy to make the cupcakes, stop making the cupcakes. No one asked for them, right? And this <laughs> this kind of thing. So first we go through the internal boundaries. How many things can you stop doing that you're really upset about that wouldn't actually change anyone's life. Let's get rid of those first. And then we work toward, okay, who's crossing your boundaries and taking advantage of your kindness and how can we talk to them in a way that restructures this relationship? That, that, I think that's huge. And I think people have to reset boundaries and things yeah. like that. Cause I think a lot of times burnout occurs because there isn't, the people don't say no enough. 
They don't set that boundary enough. So it becomes something that it's easy to transgress. Yes. And I think we have to go beyond avoiding saying no. I think this is um, why a lot of work into boundaries is not actually very helpful because the first step that everyone gives is just learn to say no, but that's not actually the first step. The first step is to learn to not volunteer yourself for things before anyone has asked for them. In those situations, you don't have to say no. You just have to not say anything. That's huge. We're just about at the end of our time here, Caitlin. Can you tell uh, people... How can they live a fantastic life in the specter of burnout, in this world of burnout? In this world of burnout, I believe that really using resentment well will lead you to a fantastic life because it will lead you back to your alignment, to being who you are, to the unique person and soul that you brought into this world. And when you are in your unique life and your alignment and you are bringing us all the gifts that you brought to this world for us everything is easier. That's huge. Well, how can people find out more about you, the world you have, and the services and book that you have? The best place to start is Fried the Burnout Podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, and that will give you all the links to everything that I do, the speaking and the coaching and the podcasting and all the things. That's huge. Well, thank you, Caitlin, for being here today. Thank you for sharing so much to us. I I think our audience learned a lot about this process today. Fingers crossed. Thanks for having me. Okay. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Ellen Laika. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N-L-Y-C-K-A.com. Check out my website. There's lots to be found there and a lot that I have to offer. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.